0: Well, praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Take your Bible, please. We're starting a new series today. We're going to go, the Lord willing, through First and Second Peter, which will take us well into the new year, I'm sure. Uh, November and December, we have some missionaries coming and some Christ, uh, Christmas messages, so uh, I'm sure it will will be well into the new year. But anyway... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Why don't we stand together as we read the word today? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Lord, thank you for your word today. May your blessing and anointing be upon the preaching through First and 2 Peter in the Sundays, the weeks and months ahead. We welcome your Holy Spirit, Lord, to enlighten us, to learn and to apply what we're studying and hearing about In our personal lives, have your way with this, Lord, and be glorified today, Lord, through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, who doesn't know about Peter? Don't raise your hand if you don't. (laughs) I've entitled the message today, Christian Greetings. Um, Many of us have heard about Peter through literature, through movies, tradition, I mean, those areas tell us that he was probably loud and impulsive and impetuous and maybe a little awkward and often spoke out of turn. But one thing we could say, that Peter was a humble servant of the Lord, full of faith, and was a natural-born leader. When I looked up Peter, I came across a website, EnduringWord.com. This is what it says about Peter. His name is mentioned more in the Gospels than any other name except for Jesus's name. He speaks the most in the Gospels. Jesus spoke of him the most. He's the only one that would rebuke Jesus, but he's also the only one that boldly and accurately confessed Jesus as Lord. Jesus addressed him as Satan one time. Peter is the one who cut off the ear of one soldier named Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that night in which Jesus was betrayed. He's the one that ran to the tomb with John to see the empty tomb that Jesus had risen. And John hesitated, but Peter ran in to see what was in there, which was only his clothing. Verse number one says that Peter is called himself an apostle. I think something can be said about this right off the bat. That he did not say he was the impossible, or the, the apostle, as though he was someone very unique and special. He, he was one of the apostles. And I see humility here. I see in the life of Peter, as we get into his story, um, a sense of brokenness throughout his life. You may remember one episode when he denied the Lord three times. He wept, he asked for God's forgiveness. He, he, he said he would never deny the Lord, but he did. And when he realized what happened, he was just so broken by that. And later on, when we, hear, when we read about Paul's writings in Galatians, we read that once again, Peter was being rebuked for not accepting the Gentile believers. But I believe that Peter maintained a humble attitude and a humble disposition all the days of his life in following his Lord and Savior, Jesus. A good example to follow. Um, We won't turn to all these passages I want to talk about, but in Luke chapter 5, there's a certain insight, I think, that the Lord gives us about Peter's character. Here's the story. You probably know this story, but it says that Peter and his companions, which were Andrew, his brother, James and John, two other not yet uh, apostles, but they had a fishing company. They went out fishing. They came back. They didn't catch anything. They were cleaning their nets by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus came that day and began to teach and preach. And as he was doing that, Jesus singled out Peter and he said, hey, Peter, go back out there and catch some fish. And you would have thought that Peter could have said something like, Jesus, I'm the fisherman. You're the carpenter. I know what I need to do to catch fish. We didn't catch any. I'm not going back out there today. It's a hassle to go back out on the sea. But in obedience to what the Lord said, Peter went out there and went out to the sea and cast his nets out to catch a great catch of fish. They came back. And, and Peter's response to Jesus when he came back, he said, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Uh, get away from me. And, but Jesus said, No, from now on, Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. So I think Jesus had like a, a special relationship with Peter. He saw something unique in Peter's life. In fact, Peter wasn't really his name. His name was Simon. His name was Simon Barjona, which means Simon, the son of Jonah, a person named Jonah. But he said in one passage, Jesus said, I will call you Peter or Cephas and upon this rock Or this faith that you have, this foundation that you have, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I see that Jesus saw something in Peter's life that was special. He wasn't polished by any means. In fact, for many years I often wondered how this fisherman could write such a great epistle. It's worded really well, no matter what translation you have. And the thought process is really clear and deep. We'll see that in verse number 2. But if you turn over to chapter 5 for just a second, there's a little insight into how that may have happened. But in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. And so he's saying... I wrote to you by Sylvanus. His other name, his Hebrew name is Silas. Silas is the same as Sylvanus, A traveling companion to Paul. Someone pretty prominent in the New Testament. But it was Sylvanus who wrote the letter that Peter dictated to him. So most scholars think that in the process of doing that he was able to articulate what Peter was trying to say in such a good way. But Peter, you know, Peter was a special man. Um, he had faith like a rock. And upon that faith, Jesus would build his church. And the gates of hell will not ever prevail against it. But think about this with me. Peter is one, the one that walked on the water. Peter is the one with James and John that was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured by the glory of God. Peter saw his mother-in-law healed by Jesus. Peter said he'd never deny the Lord, but he did three times. And he wept bitter tears of sorrow and regret and repentance. And Peter saw Jesus ascend into glory. And Peter was waiting for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, when the Holy Spirit came, Peter received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The one who denied the Lord was now empowered to preach the gospel. The first one to stand up and proclaim the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. And that day, 3,000 souls were saved as the church was birthed. So Peter dedicated his life to the one that called him and saved him. And I, just from that alone, I think we can get some encouragement today. When you had your time with God, when you had the epiphany happen in your life, when the light went on, so to speak, when you recognize you're a filthy sinner doomed for hell and you need help and you turn to God for help, when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus, that wasn't meant for a season of your life or or a a couple of years of your life, or to get you through a tough time. No, that relationship is meant to last you for all of eternity. I'm happy to say, but you know, some of you know my story. It took four times until I really got it right with the Lord. Pamela can testify. I accepted the Lord here and there and over there, but it was the fourth time. When Pamela and I were together, we accepted Jesus. The light really went on that time. And when that happened, I knew I was never going to go back to my old way. And the reason I'm encouraged is because I see, I see a little bit of me in Peter. And guess what else? I see a, a little bit of you all in Peter, too. Peter represents humanity. He was not polished. He was not basically a good man. I mean, maybe deep down, but he did a lot of blunderous things. I mean, he rebuked Jesus. That's pretty rough. But he was faithful to the end. Tradition says that when he died, finally when he died, according to a prophecy that Jesus gave him, he was crucified, not regular like Jesus was, but upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die like the way Jesus died. He was faithful to the end. Now, if he's at the gates of heaven welcoming everybody in, I don't know about that, but tradition says St. Peter's welcoming everyone at at heaven's gate. Anyway, now it's 64 AD. Peter is writing this epistle, um, and we're going to go verse by verse to talk about this, but we're going to see right off the bat, there's a lot of meat in these two verses. So let's try to get into this. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I said it before. Peter was not really his real name, but this was his new name. The name that Jesus gave him. And I don't know if we all need a new name, but we have a new character. When I say I'm Rick Amendola, I'm the new Rick Amendola. I'm not the old Rick Amendola from the old days. I'm the new person in Christ Jesus. We went to our high school reunion a few years ago and said hello to a lot of people, and you're Rick Amendola. What happened to you? Well, I got old for one thing, but I got saved for another thing. And so I say this is, you know, this is not the same old person, but Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, just want to differentiate between the word apostle and the word disciple. In Luke chapter 6, we read that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer one night, went to a mountain and prayed all night long, when the morning came, he came down from the mountain. He called all his disciples to himself. And out of all those disciples, he chose 12 to be his apostles. Peter was the first one. A disciple is a follower, a learner you know, of, of, of Christ. Uh, an apostle is someone sent on a special mission to represent the Lord. And so I, I refer to apostles as modern day missionaries, like those people over there on our board, uh, people that are sent out to bring the word to places that have never heard it before. But he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he says, to the pilgrims. So some of your translations say, to the exiles. But what he's saying here is, I'm writing to the sojourners, the travelers, the ones that are passing through, the ones that are moving along this life without a lot of roots in this life because their citizenship is now in glory in heaven. It's a temporary residence here on earth. And he says they're the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is present-day Turkey, so he's writing to those dear Christian people that have been dispersed because of persecution. In Acts 8 and Acts 11, we read that there was great persecution in Judea and Samaria. People went, Christians went everywhere preaching the word of God. Um, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and now they're in the area of Turkey. And so just from the first verse so far, Peter and Apostle, now the, the mantle of Apostle, has a sense of care attached to it. He's writing to people who were persecuted, people that were hurting or maybe discouraged. And this letter will try to encourage those believers to stay strong in Christ. And then he says, to the elect. Now, some of your translations say to the chosen. And so we could say that verses 1 and 2, the, the pilgrims or the uh, the exiles are equal to the elect or the chosen. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what I mean about Peter's way of communicating. That's a very deep statement to make. I think if I had a conversation with Peter, he may have said it a little bit differently that I could understand it better. But it's written down this way. But let's try to break this down and, and see. Because many people see the word elect and we get nervous. Like maybe you're elected and, or I'm elected and you're not. Or you are and I'm not. Or maybe you're chosen. And I, maybe I'm not one of the ones that's supposed to be saved. But that's not what this means. Let me try to unpack this a little bit. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows the past, the present, and the future. He knows beforehand who will accept him and who won't accept him. He knows who will believe and who won't believe. He knows who will decide to be his disciple and who won't decide to be his disciple. But here's the point. All are chosen to be elect. Otherwise, we wouldn't have John 3.16 say, For God so loved the world... We would have Mark, uh, Matthew 28 go into all the world and make disciples or Mark 16 preach this gospel in all the world. Everyone's invited to the table. And he gave, the, uh, John 1 12 says, as many as received him, he's given them the right to be called children of God. So the invitation is there for all to receive, but he knows who will and who won't. Ephesians 2 8 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. God's grace, our faith, equals salvation. All are invited to the party. So the elect or the chosen are those that hear the invitation and respond to the Lord. But notice it says in verse number two, they're elect or chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. God knows who will do it and who won't do it. In sanctification of the Spirit, there's a life change when we accept Christ into our lives. We're sanctified by a work of the Holy Spirit and by the blood, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, the atoning work of Jesus. Now, when that word came forward earlier this morning, I was saying to myself, that's a great word about the blood of Christ. There's power and anointing, healing, salvation in the blood of Jesus But I want to give you just a quick little background of where that comes from. You know, God commanded that the Passover lamb would be slain. And the blood of the lamb would go over the doorpost of the people of Israel's homes in Egypt. And the death angel would come and pass over that home that was covered by the blood. But we read further on, for instance, um, in Exodus 24 the covenant of Mount Sinai, when the law was given. Did you know that that was ratified when the Lord told Moses, get get an oxen, kill the oxen, get the blood of the oxen, and sprinkle it all over the people and all over the law, sprinkle it with blood? That ratified that covenant. That drew people to the Lord, ratified in blood. In Exodus 29, 21, we see the similar thing a little bit later uh, the Lord told Moses, take the bulls and the rams and kill those animals and sprinkle Aaron and his sons and their clothing with the blood of the animal and consecrate them for service as priests. And when Jesus' blood was shed on Calvary, he consecrated us as priests of his household. In Leviticus 14, 6 and 7, we have another cleansing of, of the lepers that were there. The Lord told Moses, take, take a bird, kill the bird and get the b- blood of the bird and sprinkle it on those that, with leprosy and they'll be made clean. And so the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin and corruption and, and his blood just makes us fresh and acceptable in his eyes. So when we, we read verse number two, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. That simply means God knows who's going to say yes and who's going to say no and sanctification of the spirit. We know from John 3, 3, we we must be born again by the spirit. It's the spirit of God that transforms our character and our nature and through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. So then he ends it by saying in verse 2b, grace to you and peace be multiplied. I look at it this way. This is a paraphrase. Peter and the apostle, or an apostle, to the believers on their way to glory, those who responded to God's invitation, whom he knew already, sanctified by the Spirit of God, bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, grace and peace to you. That's a a long way of saying we're all family. And God knew who was going to be part of family or not. And so here we are. That's why I've entitled this Christian Greetings. We're the family of God. We've been touched by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've been changed. We've been altered. Our lives are different than what they may have been without Christ in our lives. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. I, uh, I want to give you four things to think about. But before I go there, um. We live in a social media world, you know. I'm impacted by it. I'm involved with it to a degree, Facebook and so forth. But a few weeks ago, I noticed a person's name on our live stream. And it was a person I went to grammar school with. And, you know, there's been no contact whatsoever. And uh, so I contacted this. I said, is this the person from blah, blah, blah? We've been communicating now for a few weeks, just sharing bits and pieces of our lives and how we came to know Jesus. And let me tell you why this is important. Uh, Pamela and I, we went to that reunion some years ago. I've met a lot of old friends on Facebook. I've met a lot of old friends. Not a whole lot want to take the conversation any farther regarding Jesus Christ. But when someone does, I take it as far as I can go. There's something special about the relationship we have with God and with one another. Let me put it this way we who have been enlightened or we we who have been saved, we who have been enlightened in the sense that we realize we need help, we have a special bond with each other. We should have a value with each other. We have something that we can't have with other people, even people in our own families, unfortunately. So when we say, you know, we're bought by the blood of the Lamb, we are a unique body of believers. We're set apart for some great things. And when one of us rejoices, guess what? The Scripture says we all should be rejoicing. When one of us is suffering or crying, we all should be suffering and crying with them. We are family. We're united by the blood of Christ. So I want to give you four things to think about from this one passage of Scripture. I realize the time is slipping by me here. So uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The first thing the Lord put on my heart regarding this was, as Peter knew his calling as an apostle, I want to encourage the church to know what your calling is. Know what your calling is. Sylvanus that we looked at before, chapter 5, he was a helper. He was a scribe. He was good at writing and dictation, a good communicator, perhaps, Last month we were talking about, uh, from Philippians, uh, Epaphroditus was a messenger. That was his calling. He was a messenger. Timothy is called the true son of Paul. John Mark is called the son of Peter. And Barnabas is called an encourager. Let me ask you a question. What are you called? What is your, what is your purpose? What is your calling as a Christian person, now that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Some are teachers, some are writers, some are helpers, some are administrators, some are encouragers. But take your Bible, please. Go, come with me to Romans chapter 12. I want to talk about this uh, again today, real quickly. But in Romans chapter 12, we have something called the grace gifts. I want to encourage you to find your grace gift within the body of Christ, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace that is given to us, so let us use them. And then he lists seven different gifts. He says, If you have a gift of prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to your faith. I would include also any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit from 1 Corinthians 12. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, healing, praying, faith. If you've got some spiritual anointing on you, that's your gifting. That's your calling. Let's go on here. Verse number seven. If you have a gift of ministry, use it in in your ministering. Well, listen, you may be a a prayer warrior. You may have a gift of visiting people that are sick. You may have a passion for street ministry. You may want to give someone a ride to church Or give counsel to somebody. But if you have a a burden to get involved and minister, then you're a minister of something. It says, um, he who exhorts in exhortation. Uh, So if you exhort, if you lift up people and you encourage people spiritually, let that be your gifting. If you have a gift of, of, um, let's see, giving, give with liberty, liberality, Someone in the church had a gift of giving a few weeks ago. He gave a very substantial offering to our missions department. But they have a gift of giving. Uh, He who leads, leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So I want to encourage you to find your your gifting within the body of Christ. Let me give you a couple of uh, situations that need to be addressed in our church we need to have someone rise up to take the mantle of our teen leader on Sunday mornings to teach our teen class. Now, I know there's somebody in here that can do this, or maybe somebody online. Someone called by God to organize, get the curriculum, work with Pamela, get it together, make a schedule of teachers or whatever, but for someone to take that mantle and run with it, it's a gifting. I know there's somebody here that could organize that cafe and schedule people to bring in goodies and food and stuff. I know it's going pretty well, but it would be nice to have someone in charge of the whole thing on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, There may be some other people here this morning that are gifted in music. Maybe you play an instrument. That keyboard's been silent for a while. That conga, the drums have been silent for a while. We need some musicians to rise up. What's your calling? What are you going to do? Um, some of you may want to get involved in some hands-on ministries, like at Common Ground or Somebody Cares New England. Someone wants maybe maybe want to work with. The homeless people or bring food in to help people that are you know struggling in that way. But the point I'm saying is Peter knew his calling as an apostle. Do you know what your calling is? And let me say this: everyone should have a calling. Now, your calling may be taking care of your family at home right now. That's that's your calling. That's that's what you need to do. Or it may be some other thing that you're involved with. That's your calling. But as a pastor of the church, I'm looking for others to rise up within the church to find your position in Christ and in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> okay, here's number two. Live light. Live light. He, say, he calls the, the believers pilgrims that are just passing through. I like the word sojourner. Um, this home is not, is not permanent, you know. This place that we have, we call this home. It's not permanent. Philippians 3.17 says, Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in glory. Now, over the past 35 years or so, Pamela and I have done a lot of funerals over the years. A lot. I've never seen anyone take a U-Haul to the cemetery and take it all with them. Everything is left behind. And it's up to the family to take care of all the possessions. But we are are called by the Lord to live lightly. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 if we can. Hebrews 12 uh, verses 22 and 24. The writer of Hebrews is making a comparison between uh, going to Mount Sinai under the Old Testament and the law to going to Mount Zion which is the home of Jerusalem representing the new covenant. But he says in verse uh, Hebrews twelve twenty two, uh, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the ase- general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. So we are called to live lightly in this life and keep our eyes on glory, on heaven, because that's where our life really begins, in Christ. Matthew 6 kind of summarizes that whole concept at the Sermon on the Mount. When uh, Jesus was teaching, he said, why do you worry about your life, what what you'll eat or what you'll wear? Look at the birds of the the trees, of of the fields. Look at the lilies in the field. Uh, they're beautiful and, and, and God takes care of each one of them. But Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Verse 34 says, don't worry about tomorrow for each day has enough trouble of its own. It's not about your bank account. It's not about your new cars or your new toys. It's not about fame and prestige. It's about your standing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says in that passage, store up for yourselves not treasures on earth where thieves will steal and rust will destroy, but store up uh, treasures in heaven where they'll be safe and pursue God. And when you get on the other side, you'll receive those crowns of glory that the Lord has for you. So from this passage, I, I see two things so far. One is to know your calling. One is to live lightly as we go through this life. The third one is this, based on verse number two. "Know your election. Know that you're the elect of God. Know that you are saved. Romans 3:23 and 5:12 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. I take special joy in telling people that one thing, that we're all sinners. Even, you know, I always throw in, even the Pope's a sinner. Uh, Even the head of the Assemblies of God in Springfield is a sinner. Uh, Every great person in life is a sinner. There's some very good sinners, very bad, but there's some very good sinners, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 10, 9 says, but if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, if we say it, if we articulate it, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Acts 2, 4 says something. It says, do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Repentance. In Acts 11, uh, we read that Cornelius and his household received the the gift of repentance from God. They were able to repent and become born again into the kingdom. So someone may say, I don't know if I'm one of the elect or not. Well, let me put it this way. Everyone's elected. But your faith will, will put you in the position to receive your Savior. Everyone is called to be a part of the family of God. But it's our faith that will trigger that. Let me say this. Have you repented of your sin? And are you trying not to sin anymore? That's an indication that you've been saved. I mean, I've had conversations with people who have received the Lord years ago. And in my case, you probably heard me say this before, but nobody told me not to get high anymore. Nobody said that. No one said not to buy liquor, beer, not to buy pot. No, no one said don't get high anymore. No one said, you know what, you need to get a hold of your temper. No one told me that. That, was, that just came with the territory. Being born again, I had a different mindset. Like I knew there were certain things intuitively God put in my heart. And Not, not that I'm unique. You've got it too. What is God talking to you about? Is he talking to you? Are, are you repenting, repentant of your sins? then we can't dabble back, you know, we can't dabble back and live in that if God called us out of it. Do you have a new heart? Do you sense yourself having a new heart about you? In other words, can you kind of look at the news or see people as you drive by and think, man, I feel bad for that guy, or I wish that was different, or maybe I could do something to help. That's an indication that you've been born again into the kingdom of God. Psalm 51 says, Create in me, O God, a clean heart. John 3.3, 3, you must be born again by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of our favorite scriptures. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We're different. We think different. We feel different. Do you have a desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Knowing that somebody you love may be facing an eternity in hell. And now that you know the truth, do you have a passion to tell them the way out of that predicament? Do you have a love for the word of God? I can remember you heard my story before. But as I was in college the first time around before I dropped out and went back. But it was a church related school. And one of my assignments was to read the first five books of the Bible. And I tried to read the first five books of the Bible unsaved as I was. It was the driest, most boring thing I ever did in my life. I was trying to do my laundry and read the Bible. and It didn't work. I, I tried, but I... Funny thing was, about five years later, after I was born again, I read the same thing. I said, well, I'm going to read that same part that was so boring before. The whole thing came alive to me. What, what happened? It wasn't the word. It was me that changed The word was exactly the same. But see, when you're born again, you could read. I can remember when Pamela and I first got married. We we got saved. We got married a month and a half later. We moved to North Carolina. I remember those first, first couple of months having breakfast together, reading the Bible first thing in the morning. The words of the page were jumping off at us. God was speaking to us through the word of God. That's an indication that we're born again. It's not a burden. It's not a, a problem to spend time in the Word. It's a joy. It's something to look forward to every single day. Amen. In Luke chapter fourteen, let me try to wrap this one up. Know your election. In Luke fourteen, is the story of the great supper. I'll give it to you in a nutshell. The man was having a great supper. He told his servants to send out the invitations, and when it was time for the thing to begin, he said, "Okay, go out and get the people to come. It's ready." So they all started to make excuses. I'm too busy. I got to to do this for work. One of them said, I just got married. As though that's an excuse not to spend time with God. Anyway, (laughs) that's more of a reason. But they were too busy. And the, the, the master was upset. He said, I want my house to be filled. Go out and tell people farther away, I want my house to be filled. And they said, we already did that. He said, go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Don't ever think that only a few people are chosen by God. Everyone is chosen by God. But it's up to the person to accept the invitation or not. That's where it becomes tricky. So when someone receives the invitation and they come to God, they are now called the elect of God, as we said in verse 2, because God already knew by his foreknowledge who was going to say yes or no. But you can know that you've been saved. In John 20, 31, John writes this. I've written to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you may have life in his name. In 1 John 5, he says, I've written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Written to you. So that means we got to get into the word of God to know what the word of God says. This will increase our faith. And the fourth thing is, and we see it in verse number 2b, Pursue grace and pursue peace. This is the mark of a Christian person. Pursuing grace, pursuing peace. Grace, God's unmerited favor and blessing in our lives. Um, Grace has been termed as a Greek thought, whereas peace has been viewed as a Hebrew thought, the shalom of God. But um, let let the concept of serving God is a privilege. None of us deserve to serve God. It's a blessing we don't deserve. And pursue grace and peace with God and with one another. Let the peace of God that surpasses all understanding fill our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. So I got these four things from 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Christian greetings. Number one, know your calling and do what God is calling you to do, whatever that is. Live light. Don't get too comfortable in this world, but have your eyes set on heaven and on glory. Number three is know your election. Spend time in the word of God. Spend time in your church that you will know and pursue grace and pursue peace with God and with others. And that's just his introduction. So that's just our introduction to this series on 1 Peter. I will tell you, next Sunday, uh, our dear brother, uh, Reverend Bill Unger, will be sharing the word. So come ready to hear that. Let's stand together if we can. I paraphrase verses 1 and 2 to make it more digestible, but read it with me if you can. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, the elect of God, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Let's say it again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, the elect of God, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Every head bowed for just a moment. Hallelujah. In my heart, I feel like this was an active day in God's house, a lot of things going on. But I wonder if there's anybody here That, first of all, needs help in discovering your calling. You know? We're going to pray for that. That's a good one. I wonder if there's some of us here, here today that need to lighten up on the things that we hold on to. Maybe we have too many goodies, too many toys, and not enough treasure in heaven. Maybe some of us aren't even sure if we're saved or not. And we need to be sure of that. And maybe some of us aren't cognizant of the idea of living in God's grace and pursuing his peace with with God and with one another. So I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for our time in your word. Thank you for communion. Thank you for worship. Thank you for kids ministry, Lord. But thank you for this time in your word. These two verses have a lot to say to us. Lord, I pray for anyone here that needs to discover their calling within the body of Christ. May your Holy Spirit lead us to an understanding and maybe even a greater faith to step out in faith, to test a few things, to see if that's our calling. But we pray, Lord, that every position in the church would be filled, every ministry would be taken care of, and even new ones would develop as people find their calling within the local church. Father, I want to pray also for for the church. If we've invested too much time energy, and money in building our own kingdom on earth. And Lord, we're not saying that uh, it's not important to have security. It is, and you would want us to. But Lord, there are missionaries that need our help. There are families in the church that need help. There are families in the community that need help, and we certainly can bless them. So speak, Lord, to our hearts that we would put you first in our lives and trust you to provide the things that we need. I want to pray, Lord, for anyone that is not certain if they were to die today that they would go on to glory with you forever. Lord, that must be a very difficult spot to be in. But I pray, Lord, by the illumination of your spirit, you would draw people to a place of understanding. I may, I may not be perfect. I may not be right. I may still be a sinner, but by the grace of God, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, let that reality be birthed in our hearts during this season. And Father, we pray for the whole concept of grace and peace to be a part of our lives. Lord, instead of our lives being characterized by arguing and bickering and anger, and saying bad words and flying off the handle. May our lives be characterized by grace and by peace. Let us remember, Lord, that we're saved. Your grace saves us. Your mercy is new every morning. You accept us. Let us remember that, Lord, in our dealings with one another, that none of us have arrived yet. And let us remember, Lord, the peace, the peace of God. Uh, Romans 5, 1 reminds us that uh, by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Let that peace change our demeanor, our attitude, our, our words, our, the way we communicate, the way that we live. May the peace of God change us from the inside out, O oh God. And may we be quick to look and to be an encouragement to others that may not have that peace, may we, be, may we be quick to give them that peace from our heart. For your word tells us, Lord, a, a kind word turns away wrath. We pray, Lord, that we would be equipped to face the struggles of every day with our words that are kind and graceful, with our attitude that's loving and forgiving. So, Lord, I, when I read this couple of verses from Peter, I think of Peter, the one who was so loud and so impetuous, so impulsive that often said things out of turn and said the wrong thing. But now he's telling us all the right things. I know he's been changed by the presence of God. And Lord, that gives us hope that we too can be changed. Lord, we want to thank you. We're not the same as we were the day we got saved. I want to thank you, Lord, that you who began a good work in us, you're faithful to complete that work until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, and Lord, I want to pray for the congregation, those on the live stream as well. May we never be content with where we are, but we, may we have aspirations to do great exploits for the kingdom of God. May we get busy about the things of God. Lord, I pray that you give somebody a brainstorm. Of how to reach this community give someone an idea of what to do to reach our neighborhood right around the church i pray lord you give someone a passion a, a desire a burden to walk down the streets of haverhill or plastow somewhere locally passing out tracts and sharing the gospel of jesus christ without fear being a bold witness for you lord why not Father, we hear cult groups are doing greater exploits than many Christians are. But Lord, would you put a fire within us? Would you put a fire within us, oh God? Father, I pray, I pray that on Saturday nights, and I often say this, that church would begin in our heart on Saturday nights when we get ready to go to bed. May we get ready mentally, spiritually, emotionally to come into the house of God, ready to worship the living God that saved us. Lord, may our experience with you rub off on our family members, our unsaved, unregenerated loved ones. May they see the joy of the Lord in our hearts. May that be an encouragement for them. Lord, if someone is living in a household that's a divided household, we pray that the love of Christ would break the hearts of those that aren't saved and that they too would want to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for everyone that hears this message to recognize the fact that we are, we are pilgrims, we're just passing through, and we're the chosen of God to be a witness for you during these days. Lord, let us take that home with us. Let us ponder that. And let us live in the grace and the peace that you have established for us. We love you. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen. And amen. Well, be sure to join us tonight at 6 o'clock on the live stream. We're going to have a prayer meeting. Uh, There's coffee and goodies in the cafe. We'll see you at the side door on the way out. God bless you.